Broadcasting remotely this week from KWT Global's Charterhouse Square offices here in London, England, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies. My guest today is Mark Cuttigan. Mark is CEO of Ella's Kitchen, the baby food company that is setting out to change the relationship children have with vegetables. Mark joined Ella's Kitchen back in August 2011, but has since gone on now to grow the business and become a leading B Corp. He's also the head of sustainability and marketing for the Haynes Celestial Group, a NASDAQ-listed company, a non-executive director for Connected Brands, and a member of the Board of Trustees for B Corp. As CEO of Ella's Kitchen, Mark is driving the brand forward, not only providing nutritious kids' food that is transparent in its ingredients, but has gone several steps further to ensure the brand is able to veducate, that's a difficult word, the UK and wider on the value and importance of eating well from a young age. As part of a wide community to building a sustainable, ethical, and fair world, Ella's Kitchen is working to address the UN Sustainable Development Goals. It has launched Veg for Victory, which calls on Public Health England to enhance the NHS choices, guidelines on weaning to promote the importance of vegetables and weaning for little ones. And I can continue on, but lastly, I'll call out the brand's partnership with children with cancer for the Eat, Sleep, Learn, Play campaign that has helped to support over 221 children in poverty by providing essential household items to help families eat and live better. Mark Cuttigan, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Hey, Aaron, thank you very much for having me. That introduction made me sound like a bit like a superhero. <laughs> I think you are a superhero with a large B on your chest, right? And a cape. So you spent the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years, though you don't look it, in food. When and how and where did you get the stronger sense for purpose and bringing purpose into food? And we definitely want to talk about B Corp because you're actually the first person on the podcast who can talk about B Corp with authority since you're actually involved with the organization as a trustee. It's 25 years, not 30. Sorry. Can't, can't age right. another five years. Yeah. So I have been in food for 25 years. And I feel a little bit of a fraud because I guess my life changed about 10 years ago. And it's the reason why I joined Ella's Kitchen after meeting Paul Lindley, who founded the company with very much a a mission at its heart and how I sort of describe purpose or mission driven companies is there's something about them other than just making money so they've got a, a kind of a north star. How did you meet Paul? So I, I was introduced to Paul and the, the story that kind of led me down this path I suppose so I've you know been involved in companies, I've owned part-owned companies, sold companies, bought companies and I read about the story in the newspaper and it was about nine and a half years ago and it had this sort of well, I'm going to tell you the story. It feels like a sort of evangelical sort of moment, but it really, really did change my life. It has changed my life. So it relates to a true story. It relates to something that happened in 1999 with the UNHCR, so the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. They're responsible for looking after and tracking migrants, and particularly they've always become overwhelmed in war-torn countries when they're when they're tasked with looking after people in war-torn countries. Now, if you think about it, if you're a migrant in a fleeing persecution, fleeing war, first problems you face is food, safety, and security. Believe it or not, closely after that is that loss of identity. So if I drop you um, somewhere on the planet, you've got no passport, no identification, no credit cards, nothing. That loss of identity is a really, really powerful thing. Right. In 1999, 650,000 people left Bosnia over a long weekend going into a camp of over a million. 
and the UN as they always are were completely overwhelmed dealing with the food safety security, the loss of identity. But also on top of that was families getting displaced from one another. You know, I've got two little girls. I mean, imagine, you know, you're going into Camp Romania, you've gone over rocky terrain, you've lost your kids. How long before you see them again? I couldn't imagine. As a father of two myself, I just couldn't imagine. You know, six yeah. months, a year? Yeah. Maybe never. You lose your parents. Right. And there's a true story of three French Microsoft technicians having lunch in Paris. One turns to the other two and said, have you seen what's on the front page of Le Mans? And they're like, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, so the UN, they need a program, right? The other two are like, yeah. He's like, well, we're pretty good at this, aren't we? This is what we did. Hmm. So he went to his boss, he went to his boss, all the, way, all the way to the Microsoft board, he said, fine, crack on, have a go. They sent 40 French Microsoft technicians out to Bosnia. Within four months, they solved the problem. This is in 1999. It was, it was after 1999, right. so it's about, yeah, it maybe 2000. Sure. And they solved the problem in four months. Now, I read about this and like something in my mind just twigged because I thought, you know, we expect governments, and we'll come on to the environment and the planet, we expect governments to solve everything. They mm -hmm. can't solve everything. There's no government... Well, and sometimes the they make things quite worse, right? Well, they do, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. Yeah. There's no government in the world that could have achieved what Microsoft achieved, those technicians. And there probably isn't another company. And if you look at the technical brilliance, the creativity, the professionalism that we have inside businesses, if we can turn them to society's benefit, the benefit to society is obvious. The benefit actually to the company commercially is obvious. I mean, right. what are those 40 people now think about Microsoft? Mm -hmm. What does the French, you know, what does that French team right. think about what they've been involved in? Right. I'm thinking this is the most... Yeah. From investors to stakeholders to employees, everyone feels very, the, the affinity is not magical, right? It's, yeah, and yeah. it's one of the things that drives me mad. I mean, doing good is good for business. So sure. why aren't more of us doing good? Mm -hmm. So the benefit to everyone. And I just read this and I thought, wow, okay. There is another way. And not only could companies act this way, I would argue they should act this way and they're going to be more sustainable and they'll be more commercially successful and everything just goes round and round and round. And that's, it may sound a bit corny, but I read that and I thought, that changed my life. So that literally, that one story was an aha moment for you. It was a complete aha moment. Huh. Then I met Paul Lindley and you know, he talked about you know, his plans for Ellis Kitchen and why he set Ellis Kitchen up around you know, children's health and nutrition. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And then, you know, I, I met and fell in love with, with, with the B Corp movement. And yeah, it really has changed my life. Were you the driving force behind getting Ella's Kitchen B Corp certified? It's a win. I, I hate saying I in business. Of course, in business. I, I, I'm sorry. So, yeah. so, so, you know, it was a team effort. The whole team was behind it. And, you know, certifying Ella's Kitchen as a B Corp was definitely definitely you know, top three proudest moments of my business life and one of the proudest moments of my life. You know, we were only the second company to certify whilst being part of a PLC after Ben Jerry's at Unilever. So for us, it was, it was a big deal, you know, you know, persuading and inspiring the mountain parent company, NASDAQ listed company to, you know, allow us to certify. Right. But it was a, it was a team effort. How long did it take? How long did it take to us to get the points, or how long did it take to, for us to persuade our from, from the moment you said, we need to be a B Corp, yeah. to the moment you actually got certified and you got enough points? I mean, it took us about two years, and I guess that goes to the, the, the difficulty of the actual assessment. You know, we thought we were a great company, you know, we had a great culture, we got values based in it, we had a mission from the start. And we kind of 
arrogantly thought we'd sail through the process. And it's only, in inverted commas, 200 questions you need to answer. But by the different... But each question is a very difficult question, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. Right. It's a, I mean, and it just takes forever to actually find the correct answer to it. But I kind of liken it to, I'm a big Arsenal fan, been a season ticket holder at Arsenal for a long time. And my brother always used to say to me, you know, you've got to go through the dark times, the times when we just don't win anything, mm -hmm. to really appreciate the good times. Right. And I kind of always sort of see the assessment a little bit like that. If it was really easy to do, then gaining that accreditation wouldn't mean quite so much. Right. But because we had to, and it kind of, going through the assessment, it shone a light on the company and asked us loads of questions that we just hadn't thought of. And that's the really cool thing about it. Like, it like what, 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 what do you think is an example of a question that you might not have thought of or what it was unexpected? It was hard, but still important. Well, I mean, it obviously digs into your supply chain in a yeah. way that we haven't looked at as a small company. But the little things were, you know, what, what's your maternity policy like? Well, mm -hmm. we're a late food company mm -hmm. and it wasn't great. So we sat around as a team, yeah, senior I mean, team. Yeah. yeah, and we sat around and looked at each other and went, well, why is it not great? Nobody really had an answer. No, well, right. should, we, should we make it great? Yeah, right. let's make it great. Yeah. And our, our creative agency, uh, Havas London, who are part of one of the biggest creative I, agencies. I used to work with Havas in, in, in North America. Yeah, so they certified a year ago. We now use the assessment on all of our suppliers, and they certified. And that is, was definitely one of the proudest moments of my life, them certifying. Mm. But for them, you know, it asked like simple questions like they have 2,000 people in their building in, in King's Cross and it asked them the question of you know what do you do with your food at the end of each day and they looked at each other and went well I don't know what do we do with it well they threw it away and they're like why are we throwing it away I don't know we never really thought about it you know it's not our business model to think about these sorts of things right so now they give it to a, a local homeless charity so in the UK not to get off on a tangent but in the US I can't do that because of health regulations and laws and it always frustrates me although I have to say our office in the US there's really very little food left at the end of any day <laughs> but when there is we try to bring it to different organizations and they say it has to have not been opened so I guess that's different here yeah, well, and also you, you could give it to Alvin feed. Right. I mean, there's lots of things you True. can do rather than landfill, right. which is obviously the worst. Right, right. You can't compost it if it's got if it has animal proteins in it, or animal, right? It's, yeah. Right. So that's interesting. You know, I, I was listening to you earlier. You were talking about how you know it's hard. Typically, things that are hard are worth it. I had an old track coach who used to say, "Excellence and comfort can't coexist," right? <laughs> which is really true. Did you, when you set out to be a B Corp, were you still privately held or were you publicly held? No, we were publicly held. So we had been bought by Hens Lesville, a US company, sure. about 18 months beforehand. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, talking to Paul Lindley, who sold the company, and I was CEO, and he said to me, I think this is what we should do. And I remember looking at him, Paul, but you just sold the company. <laughs> you could have done this before you sold the company. Right. And he left us a few years ago, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I just thought it was quite funny. He'd sold yeah. the company and he said, right, Mark, I want you to do this. And like, mm -hmm. Well, thanks, Paul. You could have said that a couple of years ago. Well, it's interesting. I had Ben and Jerry's on the show. And, you know, they're like the OG when it comes to B Corp and purpose, socially driven from the early 70s, right? Yeah. And their acquisition by Unilever helped spark in Unilever a, a greater desire to not just eventually become a B Corp, but to divest themselves of businesses 
that don't meet their values and invest in new businesses that are either B Corps or meet their new values, which was really inspired by Ben and Jerry. So is it possible that we could see something similar with Hain now as well after their acquisition of Ella's Kitchen? Yeah, I mean, Union were obviously um, fantastic in the sustainability sphere. And you're right, you know, the last, uh, well, if we go back about a year, you could have said the last five companies that Unilever bought were all B Corps. Yes. Which just shows the, I guess, the, the commercial benefit of becoming a B Corp. Right. And they're very much leaving those those entities alone. You're not sort of yeah. bringing them into the mothership. They're trying to learn and, and grow them, which is fantastic. Right. And they're um, very proud of it. They talk about yeah. it. I mean, it's an amazing thing to watch versus, let's say, a PNG, who I have respect for PNG, but I believe that they are trying to. This is my own opinion. They're, through different campaigns and whatnot, they're trying to express values through creativity. Yeah. Like a girl, you know, toxic masculinity, secret deodorant supporting U.S. women's. And that's maybe a debate or discussion for another day. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't seem as substantial as what Unilever is doing. Yeah, and I was breaking down that, Ellis, we all try and do the right thing. Like, keep things simple. Right. We, we often won't do the right thing, but it's not because we meant to. Do you know what I mean? It's right. because we make a mistake because we're human and, right. and businesses are full of humans. The question becomes, you know, when you realize you haven't done the right thing, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's not what happens, it's how you react. It's how you react. And, yes. and, you know, and what's great about this is that anyone can just, you know, you know, pull us up and say, I don't think we should be doing this. We're a B Corp, which I absolutely love. But I, I love the stewardship that Unilever. Uh, showing and it, one of their mantras seems to be it's never enough mm. you know when's enough enough it's never enough we've yeah. always got to go further whenever I go to any conference and, and I'm really inspired by people I always come back thinking oh we're not doing enough right and should we get rid of all of our, our, our meat products I don't right. know what you should should we stop flying there's just so much that we can do right well David Packer back in 1960 who was one of the first people actually to talk about purpose as part of a corporation's mission, he has this quote that basically says, it's something that will never be fulfilled, it's eternal. And that's okay, yeah. right? Because that is kind of the intent behind it. Because you can't say, I'm done, no. right? It's impossible, especially given the way the world and the world's needs and society is constantly changing. You need to adapt to change to meet their needs. Yeah, and, and, and as a company, if you have a mission, you should never really be able to reach that mission. And yeah. if you do reach that mission, the company should fold. Yeah. That's done. You know? Exactly. Congratulations. You've solved X or Y problem. Right. Right. So, and so you've done some work with, I think it's Hain Ireland to become B Corp certified, right? Yeah. So as head of sustainability for Hain Celestial, which, which I absolutely love, you know, we took the decision to keep things simple and, and use the B impact assessment from VLA, which is the charity that runs the B Corp movement. And have that as our as our measurement tool. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're going to measure every single business unit across the world, with the aim of, of getting each business to be as good as they can. We want them all to certify as B Corps. But yes, Hain Ireland has recently submitted certification, which is amazing. So it got over the eighty points. So do you have to like recuse yourself because you're on the board? Actually, it goes through Europe, so not ah. the UK. And the way that we now run things is. It's the certification team, the sort of complete Chinese wall. So I have no idea right. who is doing the certification and who, if they get a visit and how it will work. Right. Okay. 
So, so you're completely blind to that. Completely blind, yeah. Yeah. So, what's your role? So, you have, you have so many different roles. So, you're CEO of Ellis Kitchen. Yes. You're on. You're a trustee for B Labs, right? Correct. Yeah. And you're also head of sustainability for all of Haines Celestial. Yes. Europe or globally? Uh, globally, for that, yeah. I have a marketing role in Europe. Right. It's a bit. It's a bit of a strange thing, but but I mean, my passions are, you know, my loves are obviously Ellis Kitchen. Right. Sustainability. Right. Um, and I love marketing as well. Right. And, and you work for a man that never sleeps, for Erwin Simon, who is also on my parent company's board. Well, Erwin actually left the business. He's gone. He, he's oh, gone. Okay. He left Haines. So he hasn't left my business. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just send him this. That's really funny. And Haines Celestial has how many brands now? There's, I mean, isn't part of the, the magic there is that they buy these incredible brands and say, you do what you do best. We're here to help. Yeah. whether it's through supply chain, distribution, marketing, whatever, but we want you to retain your identity and what makes you special. Yeah, it has over 100 brands. Really? Yeah, and Mark Schiller, who, who has been, he's the CEO of Haines Celestial, he's been with the company just just coming up to a year. He's tried to simplify, I guess, the business model and rationalize Haines Celestial to focus on the brands that are going to be the, the winners, I suppose. Right. But yeah, it has a lot of brands. But you're right. I and mean, they all have different cultures. They all have something unique. Yeah. And they are, it has a fantastic portfolio of right. brands in the company. I was introduced to a company years ago when I was helping manage communications around a nut butter recall. Yeah. And just going back to what you said earlier, one of the other values, of course, of being a company that operates with a moral North Star as a B Corp is that you... In times of crisis, every company faces crises, especially the more successful you are, the more vulnerable you are. Things are going to happen sometimes out of your control. Having your key stakeholders know that you are good and that you do right by them, even if something bad happens, and building that trust and building that bank of goodwill, especially in time of a crisis, is more important than ever. So it's not just for the upside of affinity, but it's also stick with us. Yeah. Because, you know, we might have done something wrong or something wrong might have been done to us, but here's how we're going to manage it. Here's how we're going to help. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Just this morning, my dad sent me an email. I mean, he's not particularly into sustainability, but he, he's showing interest. That generation, he's pretty much isn't. So. He, he's showing interest, I think, because of me. Yeah. But he sent me um, details of a fund that he's invested in that has Unilever as, as one of the biggest companies. And he, he just sent his email saying, wow, look at the openness and honesty right. coming from Unilever. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. that's and he's, cool. And they're, uh, they're, he's a man in his late 70s? Oh, he's going to be 80 next year. There you go. So yeah. that generation is very hard to change, especially around social issues and especially around things like sustainability, right? So that, that speaks volumes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he read it just because he's your father, though? Probably a little bit. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, 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 I think he's, you know, genuinely interested. In it. And obviously, I have quite a lot of time, spend a lot of time with him. So he gets it from me the whole time. Right. You know, when I'm talking about doing an event with the government this week and talking about, you know, the purpose of a business. And as the CEO of a NASDAQ listed company, a division of a NASDAQ listed company, I have one fiduciary duty mm-hmm. and one fiduciary duty only, and that's maximize shareholder return. Right. Now, I don't have to care. I do, but I don't have to care about the people that work for me, my impact on society, or the company's impact on the planet and the environment. Except the Business Roundtable says that's not true anymore. Well, you, do you amazing. believe it? Do I believe that they believe it? Yeah. I think we need action. 
yeah, I mean, I was just, just before I came in, came in here to talk to you, I was listening to Greta Thunberg at COP25 mm-hmm. talking, and she was saying there's too much clever accounting. This is the young woman, right? Yes. Yeah, right. This is young like, Swedish. She's, she's what? 16? Not yeah. even. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, she, along with the, the students doing the climate strikes, yep. the biggest um, demonstration the world has ever seen. Sailing like, the Atlantic, not getting on a plane. My kids, right. you know, my, my kids just saying, you need to do something. Right. You're not listening to us. Right. And she's saying from, you know, the top 100 companies produce 71% of global emissions. Right? 71%. What are they doing? You know, it's all very well for the top, you know, the top CEOs in the US, the round table to issue, you know, these edicts saying, you know, things aren't right, capitalism's broken, things need to change. Great. What they need to change it. Like, right. what are they doing about it? Right. You know, and BLAT actually took out a series of adverts the last, you know, a week after they came out with this saying, great, we have an answer to this. Take the assessment. Mm-hmm. Prove it. Right. When I meet CEOs who say, they run a great company, first thing I say to them is, Fantastic, good for you, prove it. Right. Take it's a free test. Right. Take the test. Right. The great company doesn't just live in a PL, right? It's not just about no. EBITDA, right? No, it can't it can't be. And right. the ones that are gonna be around in the future won't be as well. But you know, I, I get sort of two responses. You know, what one response is, you know, I run a great company, everything and like, okay, well, firstly prove it. But the thing for me, which a lot of people miss, I guess, about B Corp is is it, it gives you this ability to talk to your suppliers, to partners, to actually inspire other people right. in a way that if you're just running a great company now, I would say to you, congratulations, pat you on the back. That's not enough. Right. Like, we're never going to get out of the mess that we're in at the moment right. with people just looking after themselves. And every conversation is a move forward. Yeah. Right? Because it's, it starts something. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I feel like we run a very good agency. We talked about this a little bit off air. I'd love to become a B Corp and I ran it by my parent company. And it's not that they philosophically or even intellectually are opposed to it. They look at it and they're like, wow, that's a lot of work. I said, yeah, that's a lot of work. And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any visibility into the suppliers we're using from coffee to paper, right? Even our utility that we use in our building. I do know that we have purpose days and that we give purpose dollars back to clients and things like that. And that's nice, but it's not deep enough. And I want to be a B Corp. I want, just like Havas here, yeah. I want to be a B Corp purpose-driven agency. Yeah. How do I convince them? Well, I'll come and chat with them. Okay. Um, well, next I, time you're in New York, I'm going to have you over. Yeah. Well, what do they need convincing on? On the fact that it's a lot of effort? Do they need convincing on... They, they seem to think there's a lot of legal paperwork as well that needs to be done. Like we need to change our articles of incorporation and, and things like that. And look, I didn't look at it that deeply, but I, I don't agree. And, and by the way, how hard is that? Yeah, I mean... Uh, to we, change we sentences and change, you know, change our mission and whatever and commit to things? Like, is that hard? Well, we, we, either, we either believe that change needs to happen or we don't. You know, I remember seeing an astronaut speak a few years ago. He said, when astronauts get up into space and they look back at the Earth, at the planet. There's have, no borders. There's no borders, but they have two overriding like feelings, emotions, and thoughts. The first one is they look at the planet and they all say, wow, that is absolutely beautiful. I mean, look, at it. it's, it's absolutely stunning in its right. serenity and the view, everything. The second emotion they have, believe it or not, is sadness. Sadness. Yeah that nobody is coming to save us. Right. Nobody. There's no great grand plan. 
nobody's put their hand up and said, do you know what? We've got this. Nobody. Right. So what are we going to do? That's, that's the only question I have for, you, you know, your parent company, the people running the company. Right. What are they going to do about it? We've got kids. I've got kids. You've got kids. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. You know, they're striking saying, can you please help us? And we're actually turning the other way and going, well, we need more. We need more money, more this, more. Like, what are we doing about this? We are, the EU has declared a climate emergency. The UK government, parliament has declared a climate emergency. We've said we've got to hit these targets by 2050. We have no chance of hitting these targets. And, you know, by the way, we need to hit them by 2030. Right. So what is going to happen? Either we're going to be part of a movement that is trying to save things or not. So I guess your bosses could turn a blind eye and say, well, we want to make more money. We need to keep going forward or. Right. We'll do something else. Well, and I've had B Corps and non B Corps, obviously, on the show. The Dave Powers from Decker's Brands. I don't know if you know Decker's Brands. So they, they make Hoka One One running shoes. They make Uggs and Tiba sandals. Large publicly traded company. Yeah. They do an enormous amount in terms of sustainability. Borderline, kind of like the next Patagonia, but in footwear. Yeah. Very, very impressive. And his point was, why do I have to be accredited B Corp to say that I'm very proud of what we're doing? He doesn't, and, and uh, you know there, there are lots of other uh, certifications I'm sure out there. So I'm not yes. saying B Corp's the only game in town, right. and but Timberland also have an incredible sustainability yeah. plan. So what I would say to him is, it's fantastic, but how are they inspiring other companies to change? So Little Wellness Kitchen, you know, we're a small team of people based just outside of London. Now we're using the impact assessment on all of our suppliers. I reckon our top 20 suppliers, 10, will certify this year as B Corps. Wow. Now, our Spanish manufacturer is really, really close to certifying. I know that when I walk around that factory, and there are a lot of people that work in that factory, all of their lives will have been changed, some in a little way, some in a big way, by them certifying as a B Corp, by the changes they've made. Some of them massive, some of them little, like putting in a creche so women can return to work. Mm. No, all of these things make a difference. And right. we talked about Havas London certifying as a B Corp. I went to their announcement from their team and I said, this is one of the proudest moments on life, but this is huge. Right. Because the unintended consequences of you guys certifying are going to be huge. Right. They are part of one of France's biggest companies. Mm-hmm. Vivendi, who own Canal Plus and right. Universal Music. Yeah. Imagine. Just imagine the change that would happen if they certified as a B Corp. Right. It's incredible. It's a daisy chain. Is it really is. what it is. It, it is a daisy chain. And I, I liken it also to a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi a, po- scheme. a positive Ponzi scheme. But it's a positive it's sure. a Ponzi scheme where there are only two, two entities, people, that benefit society and the planet. Right. Sounds like a good Ponzi scheme to me. Sounds like a very good one, yeah. So, so you know, to the companies that are running great companies and saying, we do so much sustainability-wise, you know, I bow my head and, you know, that's absolutely incredible. Right. But how are they then passing that on and inspiring other companies to change? Because we need change to happen on a massive scale. We need to be braver and pass it on. Are there certain companies that you wish in particular that you think about and say, wow, if they went through the accreditation and they actually went through this, this process, then we know that we're at that tipping point. Or do you feel like we're already at that tipping point? I certainly don't think it's a fad. I don't think it's a trend. 
I think it's part of doing business, but I think we're just the beginning of it. The question is, at what point do you feel like it's become more the norm and not unusual? For example, why do I have a podcast about this? There shouldn't be a podcast about this because this should just be the way we are. Yeah, no, obviously not enough people have heard about B Corp and it isn't really in the mainstream yet. I think we need companies who people would just stand up and go, wow, how they B Corp? How did that happen? Right. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about Gretchen again, just, just because I've literally just listened to it before I came in. You know, she was saying since the Paris Agreement, banks have invested 1.9 trillion US dollars in fossil fuels. So I'd like the banks to become B Corps. Right. I'd like the, you know, BP. I don't think they'd be able to because they'd have to change their business model. But what about some of them actually stepping up? Well, I was wondering, maybe I can have someone from BlackRock on. BlackRock kind of bangs this drum about how great they are and the companies that change the world. But are you telling me that BlackRock doesn't invest in fossil fuels? I don't believe that. Well, BlackRock are our third biggest shareholder. <laughs> and, 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 okay. okay. And, um, and, you know, clearly we've had the uh, last two years I'm glad of, I asked of having a, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, right. sure. you know, I gratefully received, you know, or, or I've seen, obviously, the letters that have been written for the last two years calling on the purpose of the company. It's fantastic. We need more of these sorts of And they're the first financial services firm to really stick their neck out. They were. I'd love for them to take the B impact assessment themselves. But what would that do to their portfolio? That's what I'm kind of curious about. Like, it's not to say you couldn't have a very uh, a high creative portfolio or high yield, but I imagine they would have to divest themselves from many, many holdings in order to pass that assessment. Yeah, probably. And, but that's great. Isn't yeah, it? I agree. I told, the you're saying the same thing. I that's totally that's, agree. You can't. You can't. You know, have a business model that, yeah. that uh, invests in arms and oil and then tell everybody not to invest in arms and oil. Correct, exactly. I met a um, CEO of a private equity company the other day, and we were, we were chatting about B Corp. You obviously get the feeling I talk about B Corp quite a lot, but don't worry, I, I talk to my wife much, much more about it. So. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, he would like some of his, his the units they own, the companies they own, to certify as B Corps. And I was like, well, that, that's great, but what about you? And he said, what do you mean, what about you? I said, well, if you owned, me, you're, if I worked for you, the first question I'd ask you is, you're asking me to certify as a B Corp, why aren't you a B Corp? Right. He looked at me and went, well, I, I don't know. I'm like, it has to come from a truth. If you really believe that this is the way business should be, do, should be done, you need to do it yourself. You, know, you need to start from a personal point of view uh-huh. from the company you're working at. Otherwise, how can you go and tell someone else that this is what they should be doing if you're right. not doing it yourself? Well, here's a stupid question. Let's just say, and I know this would never happen necessarily, although it'd be great if it did. Every listed company in the world became a B Corp. Would that mean, though, that we would have no companies that are in oil, you know, arms, mineral extraction? Or is it possible to actually be in those businesses and still be a B Corp? Because there's certain realities, whether it's having to fly in a plane or drive a car or put gas petrol, as you say, here in your car. So where is there a line or is it, are there certain companies that can never, ever actually pass that test? And I ask because I think it's been asked often by a lot of folks and might be a naive question. Uh, no, it's not a naive question because you know, I'm obviously not in, in charge of uh, the assessment and you can score very badly in certain areas 
but you have to make up those points in others because it looks at your entire business right. and everything. So it's a 360. It's a 360, yeah. yeah. And, and not everybody does wear in every section. So it would be possible. I think it would be incredibly difficult for a company whose business model harms the planet or harms people to certify as a people. That would be difficult. Right. But could it be possible in 20 years' time, say, British American Tobacco ditched all of their cigarettes and came out with a, a vape that actually was good for you. That's possible, right? Then you'd look at it and yeah. go, yeah, they probably could become a B Corp. Uh, and would the world be a much better place if we were all B Corps? Yes, it would. Yeah, well, and I, I think about even paper companies, right? Can they become a B Corp, given kind of the nature of their business? But You mean newspaper companies? Or any sort of paper, any, anybody that's well, in the, mill, the milling business, you know, you know taking down trees. Yes, I mean, last, what was it, last month, The Guardian and, and The Observer certified as a B Corp. Isn't The Guardian already a non-profit? Is it The Guardian that's funded by the subscribers? Isn't that a donation, technically, as opposed to a subscription? I could be wrong. It's, I think, yeah. Kind of like BBC and National Public Radio. But no, no, I think it's both. There's, Is a, it? there's a trust right. that funds The Guardian and The Observer. That also, you know, individuals, the public also fund the journalism as well. Right. But they certified last month as a B Corp, which is a massive moment, massive right. moment. And so, I, you know, I haven't seen their assessment, but you can go online and see that's one of the great things about the movement is you can go. It's all transparent. It's all transparent. Right. So if you apply and you fail, everybody will know you fail. No. no. Only if you certify. Ah. Yeah, because that would be un- unfair, and that actually wouldn't encourage people, you know, okay. to take the tests. We want as many people as possible to take the tests because, you know, B Lab said, say it's sort of measuring what matters. Right. And is B Lab a nonprofit? It is a nonprofit. It's a charity that right. runs the movement. How did you get involved with B Lab? As someone who then became a trustee, is it because of your work in becoming certified and learning more about it? Yeah, I just become so passionate about it, I suppose, and, yeah. and having children and understanding, you know, being pushed by them and understanding the issues that are going on in society, understanding the benefits that it's brought to Ellis Kitchen, right? both from a people point of view, from point of view of our supply chain and how we've managed to help and inspire them, and actually commercially as well, it's made us commercially more successful. All of these reasons, I guess, have given me this real passion for the movement. And I was asked to, to sit on the B-Lab board, so... Just back to Al's Kitchen for a second. The concept of getting a veg-ucation. <laughs> it's hard to say that word without laughing. I like it, though. I quite yeah. like it. It's memorable. Talk a little bit about that. What is Al's Kitchen doing besides making great, tasty treats and snacks that are good for you, right? Yeah. And you have, like, a, a very whimsical, very appealing way, voice in the market. What are you doing around veg-ucation? Yeah, so we wouldn't say we have treats. <laughs> we well, have, they're healthy treats. Right? Well, they're not no. really treats. They're, we have meals and we right. do have some snacks. Right. So, yeah, so we, we've been on a, a mission um, to bring up a, a nation of vegetable lovers. And we've been trying to do this, or we are doing this since, since our inception. I'll, I'll give you an example of, of one cool campaign that we did a couple of years ago which we did call the sort of Veducating the Nation. We did some research with the British Nutrition Foundation and were able to prove that when you start weaning, so in the US you call it when you start solid foods, Yes. so when a baby's sort of five, six months and they, they, they start taking food for the first time, 
if you start with vegetables first two weeks it will have a material impact on that child's vegetable intake when they're one two three four and five so you start with a plant-based diet so first. start with vegetables start with right. green vegetables got it yeah the ones that that you know not the sweet ones right so spinach you know brussels sprouts sure you know the, the, the kale things like that and that will change a child's palate and the children are born with a naturally sweet tooth because breast milk is sweet yeah so it can take a child up to 10 times so reject vegetables up to 10 times now that's difficult i understand mm -hmm. as a parent two girls you you try you have to keep head. going no yeah. no yeah. you just gotta keep going yeah and, it, and they will accept it and then it, statistically they're more likely to eat vegetables or they will eat more vegetables when they're one, two, three, four, and five. Hmm. So that was quite a cool thing that we proved. Now at the time, the UK government and NHS choices where parents go to for advice, were advising when you start solid foods with a child, you know, mash down a bit of fruit. We took this research and said, well, can we change this to just mash down a bit of vegetables? Sure. Yeah, no one's really going to disagree. This is a good thing if kids eat How can you disagree? How can you disagree? Right? Yeah. It was very difficult to get them to change their guidelines. You know, we ended up marching on the Houses of Parliament with children. You know, with Literally parents. marching, protesting? We, we literally marched on the Houses of Parliament and then marched on the, on the Department of Health with children. We rightly thought they wouldn't. You know, arrest children, <laughs> which they didn't, which is good. Right. And we delivered these big letters saying, here's our research, we would like you to change the guidelines. Right. At the same time, we dropped the price of our vegetable skews in the supermarkets to give that nudge to consumers so they were mm. cheaper than our fruit skews. And then we did a big campaign to, to parents. Everything we do at Ellis, we, we say, is our sort of kids first mentality. So we look at the world through children's eyes. Mm. So. We sort of took Winston Churchill's three most famous speeches based on the premise that all kids look a little bit like Winston Churchill when they're born. Yeah. And we sort of created Sir Winston Churchill. And we had these sort of three videos which were a smash hit on all of our social media, you know, taking this message in a nice kids first way, I suppose, but hitting that sort of hard message that this is what we need to do. Right. Wow. And that the research that you mentioned earlier, did you field that research yourself? Or yeah, well, you... we spent quite a lot of money pulling it all together. So it's all around the world. So this it's research aggregated. Done, right. Aggregated, yeah. Right. Interesting. And then, so how much of your business is more vegetable versus fruit, meal versus snack? Where are you seeing the uptick? And, and also, you can get this in the US if you buy online, right? Or can you actually go into a store and get this? And it's kitchen. Yes. Well, we, we did have quite a big presence in the US, but it's it sort of, it's dwindled over the last four or five years. Hayes Lesser-Lanes has two big food brands, right. Earth's Best and Ellis Kitchen. Yes. Earth's Best was, was much bigger, and the decision was made to, you know, invest in Earth's Best rather than Ellis Kitchen. Right. Which is the right decision. And you're doing quite well here. We're doing really well here. We're the yeah. number one big food company in the UK. We have been for a long time. We take that trust of parents incredibly seriously. Right. And you plan on expanding in throughout more of Europe? I yeah. guess we're going to get to a Brexit discussion then, so we probably shouldn't talk about it, right? <laughs> yeah, Brexit. Yeah, so we, we'd love to expand more geographically. We'd like to do more with our purpose. Right. We'd like to do more around sustainability. The unfinished business in the UK, we, want to, we do want to keep growing right. in the right way. Yeah. And 
What has been so far? So you've been CEO how many years now? I've been with the company eight and a half years. I think I've been, I'm really bad with dates, but I think about six years, six and a half years. What was the hardest decision you've had to make as CEO? That you can talk about. <laughs> I should qualify that. Well, what's the hardest decision? I don't know what's the hardest decision I've had to make. Maybe you haven't had it yet. Uh, yeah, maybe I haven't had it. I have such an incredible, we have such an incredible, passionate and engaged team at Ellis Kitchen. But, uh, but could it even be saying goodbye to a supplier that didn't meet your standards, but they're a great people, great supplier, but they just didn't meet the threshold? I'm trying to think, you know what, one of, one of my passions at, at work is delivering autonomy and proper autonomy. I think people want two things at work, really simple two things. And actually, I, I never watch TV because since my kid, kids worked out how to use Netflix, mm -hmm. they're always hogging the TV and never get to watch TV. But I was watching TV a couple of months ago. But you mean real TV, not, real not, TV. not streaming. Yeah. No, real TV with, right. with adverts, which uh, again, Never happens. And there were two ambulance men in an advert and they were talking about how difficult their work was. And at the end, one turns to the other one and says, yeah, but we have, we have pride and we have purpose in our life. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should have pride and purpose in their life. And I think I feel very strongly that pride at work comes from autonomy. Yeah. You can't have pride in the work that you do if it's not your work. So delivering autonomy at Ellis Kitchen is, is something that I've been hugely passionate about and the senior team is passionate about. I did a talk about a year ago and I said, you know, I made a vow a couple of years ago not to make another single decision at Ellis Kitchen. And someone in the front row burst out laughing. You mean on your own? Yeah, on my no, just myself. Oh, okay. Yeah, someone in the front row burst out laughing and I said, what's so funny? And he said, well, what do you do? And this idea that a CEO should make all these decisions, I think is ridiculous. If you're the head of marketing at Ellis Kitchen, you're the head of marketing. You know, we can have a chat, I'll yeah. give you my ideas, right. but at the end of the day, it's your decision. Right. You are the expert. Right. And try to really push that out throughout the whole business. And if you do it correctly, what you'll end up with is a whole series of leaders leading in their particular area. And you'll have engaged people that have pride in their work. Right. So I think it's a roundabout way of saying, I'm not really sure the answer to your question because I'm not making these decisions. Right. I'm sure I'll go away and I'll think of something that has you know, really hurt me or I found really, really difficult. But actually, day-to-day -day decisions, I, I'd like to think I'm not making any at all. Well, it sounds like you've recruited a very good team too. Yeah, well, a lot of them were there already, but yeah, I mean, the, this, yes, we have an amazing team. I, I asked Ben and Jerry's if anything changed for the negative or the positive after Unilever bought them. And they, much to my surprise, said that Unilever's purchase actually helped them become even better when it came to North Star and social action. Mm -hmm. And it actually brought out their best selves more than they even had imagined. Because obviously, whenever there's an acquisition, especially of a large publicly traded company, there's fear, especially when you are in a unique position or uniquely situated. Sounds like the Haynes Celestial acquisition made you even stronger. Yeah, and there was there was great fear. I remember Owen Simon asking us. He, he came over for dinner and he said, "You know, what what are your worries? What are you scared about?" And I said, I'm a bit, "Speaking frankly, Owen, I would scared. I would have said you, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you would love that. No, I don't. Yeah. No, and I said to, I said yeah. to Owen, you know, I'm worried about the impact that you're going to have on, on our culture." 
on our mission and on our values. You yeah. know, we, I'm we, sure he's heard that before. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're building, built something and continue to build something that's like really, really important to me. It's one of the loves of my life, but actually something I'm hugely, hugely proud of. And I was worried about the impact they were going to have on us. Are they going to start saying, you can't spend money on your mission? We're not interested, Mark, in your sustainability. We're not interested in B Corp. But a bit like Ben and Jerry's, actually, we've become a much, much stronger business on every single measurement, I would say, since we've been bought by Haynes Celestial. And the thing, one of the things I guess that I've been most proud of is it's not the influence they've had on us, it's the influence that we've managed to have on them. Right. And they've actually looked at us and go, yeah, we're, we're willing to learn from you. And the fact that you know, Mark Schiller asked me to be head of sustainability for the whole group is massive pride to me, but also to everyone at Ellis Kitchen because it shows that belief in what we're doing is right and they want to you know, learn from us and, and move forward, which I think is fantastic. And how much of your time is on that sustainability role versus Ellis Kitchen? It sounds like you have such a strong team and because you're pushing them to be autonomous and independently minded and make decisions, that it also allows you to do more on the sustainability side and working as other brands within the Haynes Celestial portfolio. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big company, you know, it's two and a half billion turnover, lots of brands, so there's lots of work to do. I, I'd say 75% of my time is Ellis. I'm not going to say something corny and 75% something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get um, it. Yeah. But so, you know, maybe 70% is, is Ellis and, and the rest is, you know, more general sustainability and marketing for the, for the rest of the group. By the way, as a, I don't know how old your children are, but mine are 18 and 15, and my oldest, my son, is off at university now. And you know that you be, you're, at least in this way, a good parent when your children are making choices as se- semi-independent adults. They're not fully, he's not fully adulting yet, yeah. that are purpose-driven, and it becomes innate. It's not even a question, and you just got to sit back and be like, huh. You know, that came from somewhere. And then that's how you know, by the way, outside of the work stuff, whatever, because the most important thing is your family. That's how you know you've done it right. Yeah. Well, mine, I've got two girls, so they're 10 and 8. Oh, so you got some time. Um, And my 10-year-old, last year, she came back from school and she'd drawn a a series of pictures on one page. And it was just a turtle. And the turtle was happily swimming swimming away. Hopefully not in his own soup, right? No, that'd be bad. No, that'd be bad. <laughs> swimming, bad. Happily swimming in, in, in the sea, and then it comes onto the shore, it eats some plastic, and then it goes back to the sea and it dies. Oh. And she handed this to me and she said, But don't, don't you use lots of plastic in your products? So, Ooh. you know, we haven't talked about plastic. We, we have right. a lot of plastic which isn't currently recyclable. We've right. made a commitment that by 2024, everything we do will be recyclable or compostable. Right. But it shows the challenges that we all have on becoming you know, better companies. 10 years ago, who would have known that recyclability of plastic would have been an issue? I didn't know it was an issue. And there's, and there's a mutuality to it. I had a, a vitamin pack company on early, early on in my show, on my podcast. And one of the reasons why I had them on is because I'm a customer. It's called Care of. I think it's just in the United States. And I got an email from them saying, we finally figured out how to make the little packet we sent, those packs that we send you every month, biodegradable. And they're a plastic beforehand. And I'm like, huh. I mean, I like their business, but that, that made me think there's got to be a story there. And what he said was, so many manufacturers didn't want to actually put the time in to figure it out. 
And the ones that did, the cost was greater. So then he had to make a decision. Do I bear that cost or do I pass that cost on to the consumer? They made a decision to actually absorb that cost and make it part of who they are. But I also think at some point, consumers will also have to accept the fact that some of the costs of goods at some point while we're in this journey, they're going to have to bear some of it. They're going to have to have some sort of contribution until it becomes the norm. Yeah. And you don't want it to make it onerous and you don't want to reduce your competitive advantage, but your competitive advantage should be values-based. Yeah. And, and I guess going back to the one of the points I made before is we all have a responsibility. Yes. So if, if you're going to complain about, about things as a consumer, then... Do something. Then do something about it. Yeah, people buy, just, buy people, a degradable thing. Yeah. If you don't want to buy water in a plastic bottle, fine, don't buy it. Right. You know. I, I was lecturing and I was doing a whole, uh, I do a whole like uh, a series of lectures at George Washington University where I went to school and I was lecturing last week, a couple different lectures and um, one of the students said, well, how can I make a difference? It's a very big macro question. And I took out my wallet and I said, you have the power, you know? People buy from good companies, not just good products. The product has to be good, but the company has to be great. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they said, especially your generation, Generation Z. And I don't even know what your girls are going to be. Who knows how they're going to define them. Yeah. But they have, they have purchasing power. Yeah. And, and we, we all have power as well. So I, I, uh, there was a girl called Bella who's um, six and a bit who wrote into Ella's Kitchen saying she loves Ella's Kitchen, but she's really sad that she can't recycle our pouches. What could she do about it? So we wrote, I wrote a really nice letter back and said, actually, you can upcycle. Wait, you wrote a real letter, not an email? No, we wrote a real letter in crayon. Wow. In crayon, obviously. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, That's fun. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> saying, uh, hi, my name's Mark, I'm 46 and a third, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and saying, so you can upcycle them. Here's the details of TerraCycle, where you can send them to. And then they wrote back. And then I wrote back saying, how about I come and talk to your class? So I went into their class and I spent an hour and a half talking to them all. And they were absolutely, absolutely incredible. We talked about Greta Thunberg and Bimit and it was fantastic. I got them to draw lots of things. And there were some parents there because they wanted to come in because they heard I was coming in. And I said to them all, you know, so a little girl put her hand up. Actually, I think it was Ben because she's the most engaged and said, if there was one piece of advice you could give to us, what can we do? Now, they're also that we want to do something and they don't have purchasing power. No. And they still believe in Santa Claus and Tooth Fairies. They six. still believe in Santa Claus. Yeah, right. but, but they're also aware that things aren't quite right. Mm-hmm. You know, genuinely, they know and they, their brothers and sisters are out striking. Right. So, well, they're, they're far more worldly six-year-old than you or I when we were six-year-old to six, yeah, right? They are because they've got the internet and they're hearing yeah. things. And, you know, my kids are talking about climate the whole time. Mm-hmm. Daddy, will the, will the world still be around when we're older? Right. You know, it breaks your heart when your mm-hmm. child asks you that sort of question right. and you can't put your hand on your heart and answer it properly. But I said to these kids, I said, okay, well, there is one thing that I think you can do. And this is going back to your point of purchasing power. I said, when you go home tonight and you're with your mummy and daddy, just ask them just one simple question. Where is your pension invested? Mm-hmm. Is your pension invested in a proper ESG fund? Right. Because if we all put our pensions in an ESG fund, we would change the world. Right. Overnight. True. I think that's a good kind of question for BlackRock too, right? <laughs> yeah. well, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. So if yeah. I was, you know, I'd love to run BlackRock because I'm, I'm sure 
Yeah. Well, I heard that the person who uh, was supposed to run it actually had to step down, so you might have a shot. Oh, <laughs> I'll send him my CV. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, we can't keep talking about these things. The great companies like Unilever are actually leading and turning away business right. because they don't want that business. Exactly. Um, you know, Havas London turns away business that isn't fitting with its its values and its status as a beacon. We certainly do. And I cite even CVS Pharmacy from 2014. They surrendered $2 billion of revenue yeah. um, when they took cigarettes and tobacco products out of their stores. Which, you know, now you're looking at it, you're like, of course they did. That makes sense. How could you be a pharmacy and be about health and wellness, but then sell cigarettes? Yeah. But it did take them a while. But I applaud them for that. So listen, I know, Mark, we could go on for hours and hours, and this has been incredible. And I appreciate you putting up with our makeshift studio that has all sorts of sounds and the lights going out and things like that. What's the best way to follow Ella's Kitchen? And I, most of our listeners for now are in the States, increasingly more in the UK. But I do know that I could probably order it online if I'm in the States and still get it, right? You, you could just about still get it in the States. Just yeah. about. Maybe just I should about. pack my, case, my suitcases yeah. <laughs> here. <laughs> might be a bit, uh, your kids might be a little bit old. That's okay. No That's other okay. kids. Unless you're going to have more kids. Yeah. You never know. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Best way to follow us. I mean, we're on all the social media channels. I'm on, on LinkedIn. I, I don't tweet. I just can't get my head around Twitter. I'm locked uh-huh. out of my Twitter account. So me and Twitter are our friends. But... I wish our president was locked out of his Twitter account. <laughs> I keep thinking maybe it's a dream. Wouldn't it be great if Twitter just shut his account down? Like what would happen? Does he, uh, oh, oh, right. Yes. What if President Trump couldn't tweet? And they just shut his Twitter account down. I mean, he probably started another one, obviously, but yeah. just for that moment. Yeah. Be, well, he just concentrate on running the country with me. Right? Yeah, right. It'd be spectacular. Thanks again for being on. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always-on-point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at thebopodcast, and learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com. Thank you.